Who knows that we've come to the end of Romans 12? Emily finished it last week. Who enjoyed it? Who enjoyed going through bit by bit? Encourage you. The messages are up on YouTube or the podcast. Have a listen to them again. Re-establish what God was speaking to us about. And knowing that we're coming to the end of Romans 12, I've been praying, God, what next? What do you want to do next? Especially leading into Easter, what do you want to share with us? And I've had this real sense that God doesn't want us to change tack too much. But God wants to continue to consolidate this idea of what a life of surrender looks like. What a life lived for God looks like. That if God has called us to a pattern of of living, a way of life, then how does that look and how do we actually practice it? And the scripture that I haven't been able to get away from, and it's something that God's been sort of bringing back to me time and time again, and even a few weeks ago when Bruce from New Zealand was here, he actually quoted this scripture and it sort of just cemented that God is wanting to speak into the life of our church is Micah 6.8, which says, many of you would know it, a very famous and well-known scripture where it says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is life to us. It is a light to us that leads and guides our path. And I pray that today you would speak to us, but not just speak to us, but you would transform us into all that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Just like Romans 12, this verse clearly shows us that God requires us to live a life for him. That he's not just called us to be saved and to be Christians, but he's called us to a way of living, a pattern of living. In Romans 12, it talked about don't be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that there's a different way to live as a Christian and so over the next three weeks we're going to look at these different things that it says is required for us if we're going to be followers of Jesus if we're going to be Christians that we are to act justly so we're going to talk about that even today what does that mean in a world where there is so much injustice and then next week we're going to talk about what it means to love mercy How do we show mercy? How do we practice mercy in this world where there is so much division? Where there's so much uh, like differences between the rich and the poor or different races. And it's just how do we actually live in a place of mercy? And then finally we'll hear about how to walk humbly with God. How do we practice this, this idea of humility in a world where as we've heard over the last few weeks, it's all about climbing the ladder and and putting yourself up front and and getting what you can out of life. How do we live a humble life when it comes to our walk with God? But before we get into all all of that, I want to talk about context because Micah 6.8 is not just one verse that God has put in the Bible all by itself alone. It's a part of a book, the book of Micah, a prophetic book. And we we don't 
we can't fully understand what Micah 6, 8 is about if we don't understand the context in which it is given. I'll give you, I'll explain this a little bit further, what I mean by context. Uh, just recently, Julie and I sat down and watched a movie on the recommendation of one of our children. I won't say which one. But when we sat down and watched it, it's like, at the end of it, we thought, gee, that was an interesting movie. And, and it, you know, the acting was great and there was a bit of humour in it and there was some weird stuff in it as well. Uh, and, and it was one of those independent movies where, anyone ever watched them, where it doesn't finish with an ending? You know, it's just it's open-ended. It's just like, and you sit there and go, what was the point of that? I'm not going to get that two and a half hours back. It's like, and, and, and I, so we, like, we somehow felt like we enjoyed it, but we didn't really enjoy it. And then we talked to this child, I won't mention who it is, uh, and no, not just, don't, don't. and they told us that the, sto- the movie was actually an allegory for the Irish conflict. And when they told us that, all of a sudden the movie made sense. All of a sudden, they gave us the context that the movie was about, and all of a sudden, we're like, oh, I actually enjoy that now. <laughs> because the reality of the, the Irish conflict, they don't know why it started. Somehow in there, it got involved in religion, Anglican and, and Catholic, Protestant and Catholic. But then it sort of hasn't ever ended. There's still this underlying conflict that goes on hundreds of years later. And so it hasn't finished. And so when the movie didn't finish with resolution, it's like, ah, that's why. And so when you give context to something, and this is what I want to do with Micah 6.8, I want to give you some context to it. Because when you understand why God is asking what, or telling us what he requires, it's because the book of Micah is a prophetic book to the children of Israel But it is also, very simply, a snapshot of God's plan to redeem humankind. You see, in the book of Micah, it begins with God's judgment. Because the children of Israel, the children of Judah, weren't doing what they should be doing. What it talks about is the fact that they were, yes, they were practicing sacrifices. And they were doing what they were told to do, like every time you know they needed to they'd go and and sacrifice an animal but the problem with what they were doing is they were just doing what they were obliged to do they would sacrifice the animal and then they would walk away and continue to live a life that didn't honor God and the theologian Margaret Barker says this faithful faithful participation in worship is not enough it must be accompanied by faithful and proper living. So these people were faithfully presenting their sacrifices to God, but when it came to their everyday lives, they were doing everything wrong. They were, they were not treating each other with respect. They were, it talks about having un, uh, like the wrong sort of scales. Their, their scales weren't 
weighted properly so they would gain more from from their sales than they should and and they were practicing all of these improper things according to God and 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 what was even more um, problematic was the fact that their leaders would were actually doing this themselves so the priests and the prophets of the time were only leading for their own personal benefit they were only leading to gain money and to gain self-prominence does that sound familiar that so often in our, our leadership these days, whether it's government or church leadership, it's all about promoting yourself rather than actually promoting God. And so it's in this moment that if you read the verse before Micah 6, 8, verse 7, it literally says, God say, they're saying, you know, can we sacrifice thousands of cattle and, and can we even sacrifice our firstborn child to satisfy you? And God says to them in that moment, it doesn't matter how many sacrifices you make, if you're not going to do what I require, all that sacrifice is pointless. And so it's in this context that we read Micah 6 This context that a sacrifice means nothing if it doesn't result in a change in the way that you are living. I'll say that again. A sacrifice means nothing if it doesn't result in a change in the way that you are living. Really interestingly, Jesus actually quotes Micah 6.8 when he was here on earth. And he actually quotes it in addressing the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, the, the priests of the time. And and he, he is addressing the fact that they are really good at living by the rules, but they're failing to actually understand why God has asked them to live by these rules. What the heart of it is, what, what is behind it, what, what are the values that make it matter. And so I just want to read it for you. It's in Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24, and I'm going to read it from the Amplified because it really helps explain it. But Jesus says these words, Woe to you! self-righteous scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, pretty full on, for you give a tenth, that is a tithe, of your mint and dill and cumin, focusing on minor matters and have neglected the weightier, more important moral and spiritual provisions of the law. And here he, he quotes Micah 6 eight. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the primary things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You spiritually blind guides. You strain out a gnat, consuming yourself with minuscule matters, and swallow a camel, ignoring and violating God's precepts. God makes it very clear in Micah 6.8 what he requires of us. But he also says those powerful words at the beginning about God. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. God has not hidden this idea. We have focused on the rules and the regulations and the do this, do this and do this. Whereas we've forgotten the heart behind of what God is asking us to do. And so what God is saying, I've not hidden this. 
my heart, like throughout all of the Jewish history, there's time and time again when they came out of Egypt, God wanted to bring all the people to to meet with him and they said no send a leader go Moses you tell us what God wants but God's heart was to have relationship with them and throughout their history time and time again God reminds them it's about relationship not religion when when Saul their first king fails and Samuel comes to him and he declares obedience is better than sacrifice I want you to obey my heart I don't want you to just do things for the sake of doing them I want you to be obedient. In Isaiah, it talks about the fast, the, the, the right fast and the wrong fast, and how these people were fasting, but they were still living lives that weren't honoring God. They were still selling other people short or criticizing others and, and in arguments and fights. And, it's, and he's saying that's not a true fast. A true fast is to help those who are hurting and, and lift up the broken and those type of things. And this is... This is the understanding that we need to grab hold of when we read Micah 6a is that God wants a way of life, not a ritual action by his children. He wants us to live in a way that brings honour to him. And in, in Micah, the book of Micah, it gets really interesting because up to you know, chapter 3 or so, we hear all these condemnations and judgments that God is going to send upon the children of Israel. But then really interestingly, in chapter 5, God changes tact and says, but, but right now I'm going to send you a new leader. And it's really interesting because it's, all of a sudden there's all this judgment and then God says, think about it, Micah is a snapshot of God's redemption plan for mankind. And all this judgment comes, but then God says, but now... Because your leaders have failed you and not led you properly, I'm going to send you a new leader. And this leader will show you how to live according to what I want you to do. You see, what we know this as now is that this passage in Micah, this prophecy in Micah, is actually what we call a messianic prophecy. Because we know the Jews were always looking for a new leader a Messiah who would come and set them free, a Messiah who would show them the right way to go. And, and so in this moment, God, after all the bad stuff, says, but I've not given up on you. I'm going to help you out of your mess. And, and in that moment, he declares he's sending a new leader. We know that leader now to be Jesus. And I want to read to you this prophecy because it is, it is so accurate and so powerful it, it, you realize how could they miss that it's Jesus but it says there in Micah 5 verses 2 to 8 but you O Bethlehem Ephrathah who are too little to be among the clans of Judah from you shall come forth for me one who is the ruler is to be the ruler of Israel whose coming forth is from is from of old from ancient days so just in that statement, where was Jesus born? Anywhere? I was a bit worried there for a minute. I know it's not Christmas time, but where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. And where does he come from? He comes from ancient days, from of old. He's not, this is not, he's not coming just out of nowhere. This is referring to his divinity or his 
never-endingness. And therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Which literally is referring to the Gentiles coming into God's kingdom. His other brothers coming in to be a part of God's family. And then verse 4, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock. Who is Jesus? The great shepherd. In the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be to great to the ends of the earth. And what, I love this, verse 5, And he shall be their peace. This is the incredible context that Micah 6.8 is written in. Yes, we are all sinners. We have all fallen short of God's glory, God's holiness, and we've received his judgment. But God doesn't leave us in our sin. He has sent a new leader in the person of Jesus. And this new leader who he has sent firstly will show us what is good. As we read in Micah 6, he has shown you, O man, O mortal, what is good. What is good? Jesus is good. He sent Jesus who showed us by the way he lived his life what a good life looks like. What a life of a child of God is meant to be like. So when we want to know what is good, we look to Jesus. And we see in his life what God has called us to as his children. But this is a great thing. But secondly considering Easter and everything that's involved, Jesus doesn't just stop by showing us what a good life is, but through his sacrifice, the death on the cross and his resurrection, what does he do? He brings us peace. Peace between mankind, humankind and God, and peace between each other, and peace in our world. This is what he came to do, and and his sacrifice and, and his actions came to show us what is good and to bring us peace. If you want to know what is good, we look to Jesus. When Jesus walked this earth, he acted justly. When he walked this earth, he loved mercy and he walked humbly with God. And the reason he did all of this, he did all of this and he does all of this for us. Why? To put it simply so that we can do it for him. Jesus made a way for us to follow. And so if that's the way Jesus lived, then it makes sense that that's the way we are called to live. Amen? This is the incredible thing. That this, our ability to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God is possible because of what Jesus has done. And now it's our responsibility to accept what he's done to surrender our life to him and live our life in a way that honours him. This is what God created us for, to live in relationship with him and to bring glory to his name. And this is our purpose now, that we would live in relationship with him and live out in every part of our lives justice, mercy and humility. Let me just explain something before I go on. 
Now, there's a theologian called Brueggemann who explains that in the time of Israel, there were two voices to the Jewish people. There was the priestly voice, and the priestly voice was all about holiness. And there was the prophetic voice, and the prophetic voice spoke forth God's ultimate plan. Now, the, the thing is, and this is the atmosphere that Jesus walked into, is the thing was that the children of Israel by giving their sacrifices and the Pharisees by, you know, tithing on the tenth of the coming and the deal and all of that stuff, they were, they were trying to be holy. They were trying to maintain holiness. They were trying to make sure they didn't sin. And the, but the problem with it is they, they saw holiness as something that was just internal. And so they, I just got to try to be holy. So I need to set myself apart and I need to, not, need to make sure... I don't get ta- contaminated by anyone else. I, I don't want to ma- make sure that I don't touch anything unclean. I make sure I don't do this, I don't do that. I don't, because if I do, then I'll be unclean and I won't be holy and God won't accept me. And so this is the, the voice of holiness. And they got so consumed with this idea of trying to be holy that they shut themselves off from everything else. But then Jesus comes into the picture and he never quotes the priestly voice, but he continually quotes the prophetic voice. And the prophetic voice is all about justice. It's all about being outward. It's all about empowering the world around you. That you're not live just to live in isolation, but you live to have an effect on the world around you. So the, the prophetic voice says things like obedience is better than sacrifice. Or mercy is better than sacrifice. And Jesus continually quoted these things that what I want from you is justice and mercy and faithfulness and humility. And this, what this means is not, it doesn't mean no, we're not meant to be holy. But the thing is, Jesus knows we can't do it in our own strength. So he pays the price to make us holy so that then we can take our holiness to the world around us. If you need to understand how that works, you just need to look at Jesus. When Jesus walked this earth, he was not afraid of being unclean. And this is what the Pharisees would get upset at him about, but he was happy to touch lepers. Big no-no. If you want to stay holy, don't touch lepers. But what Jesus was showing us in that action is that our holiness is not meant to be contained in us. But our holiness is, can be spread to others. Think about that for a moment. Jesus came to the leper who was unholy. He touched him and he was healed. He was made clean and whole. It gives me the idea, and this is the prophetic voice, is that what we have inside of us needs to be spread to those around us. That we don't need to be worried about them contaminating us. We need to actually think about how we can contaminate them. And we can contaminate them by living a holy life, which is, yes, doing the right things in God's eyes, but holy life is also acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with our God. A holy life is not just not sinning, it's actually something outward. Something where we treat people fairly. We, we show mercy and we walk humbly with God. Does that make sense? This is what God is calling us to. So today we're going to look at, firstly, what it means to act justly. And um, 
a guy by the name of John Barry. I don't know who he is, but I read his quote. And he says, a proper relationship with God also involves a proper relationship with one's neighbour. Now, the justice that it talks about in Micah 6a, act justly, it's actually a legal term. But Damien shared a few weeks ago about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But it's not that type of justice it's talking about. The justice it's talking about is the justice of fairness. And it is, it's actually, legally, it's talking about our rights. That every person has the right to be treated fairly. Now, rights in our day and age, it, we start talking about rights, it can become pretty problematic. Because everyone has different opinions when it comes to rights and whose rights are this and whose rights are that. But biblically and scripturally, I believe there are two very basic, simple principles that determine the rights we have. And the, the reality is if we understand these two principles and see life through these lenses, it will help us live justly. It will help us act justly. Uh, and what I want to encourage you to, to do today is to actually consider these two principles I'm going to share with you and, and actually take them on board and actually believe in them because they're scriptural, they're from the Bible, and they're very simple, but they're very powerful. And like anything, if you believe in something enough, it will change the way you live. Remember that saying, our actions reflect our beliefs? Well, I want you to consider, to, to consider these two principles as truth from God and, and allow them to actually get into your mind and heart and allow them to change the way you do life. Now, the first principle that the Bible teaches us about is that we are all equal in God's eyes. Unlike your parents, and I won't mention anyone, but God has no favourites. It says he's no respecter of persons, we're all equal in his sight. He loves us all exactly the same. It doesn't say, for God so loved Ben, that he gave his one and only son. Does it? I'd like to think it does. But it doesn't. It says, for God so loved the world. Everyone. Equally. He didn't give a bit more love to Joyce than he gave to Margaret. He gave, he loves us all exactly the same. And let me say this. This also includes the people in our world who still haven't accepted God's grace. Guess what? You might be shocked by this, but he loves them just as much as you who have accepted his grace. Oh, surely we're more important. Surely, I, I, like, we've, we've, like, we're children of God now. Surely he loves... No, he loves each one of us. He loves his creation. So let me say this. If we are equal in God's eyes, then it makes sense that we should also be equal in each other's eyes. As I said earlier, it's really interesting that when Jesus walked this earth, that he displayed this characteristic, this principle, 
The reality was everyone was welcome at Jesus' table. Isn't that right? Everyone. Whether you were at the top of the social scale, some rich person or some Pharisee. You read throughout the Gospels. There were times when he ate with Pharisees. There's time when he met in a rich person's house or an important person's house. But then there were other times when he ate with tax collectors, the lowest of the low. When he mixed with prostitutes and lepers and others because in Jesus mind where everyone's equal there is no no one greater than anyone else everyone's welcome at my table and if that's Jesus example to us that it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've come from you're still welcome to sit with me whether you're Zacchaeus the the tax collector who did all those wrong things but in one sitting with Jesus, his life was transformed. Or whether you're, you know, some Pharisee who go to meet with him in the dark of the night, you're all welcome. And this is what Jesus wants us to understand. This is what God wants us to understand is that we are all equal. This, this is why we do things like pop-up kitchen uh, we open the doors to the church and say, You're, everyone's welcome. You're all welcome. It doesn't matter what you've done or who you are. You're welcome. Because this is the, the heart of God. This is the principle of acting justly, acting fairly, that we're treating each other fairly. And it doesn't matter where you've come from or what you've done. This is really important for us to understand because the bible is really clear for all have sinned and fallen short of god's glory and we've been reading romans 12 and it says really clearly in there don't think of yourself better than you are don't put yourself up on a pedestal don't don't think because you've got letters after your name or you've gone to university or or you've got this highfalutin job wherever it might be that you're important or that you're a pastor of a church, that you're any better than anyone else. This God wants us to understand that we are all equal in God's sight. There is no Jew or Gentile. There is no male or female. There is no free or slave. There is no crow supporter or port supporter. There's none, none of that. Like this is, this is the problem with our world is that we love to categorize and... and, and label things and put things and if you earn this amount of money you must be more important than someone who doesn't in God's eyes we're all equal yes work hard and and you know do your best to do well in life but not so you can say to others I'm better than you because the reality in God's eyes we are all equal I love I love this quote I don't know where it's from and it's not in the Bible, but someone said it once. But they said, I am you and you are me. We are not alone. I am you and you are me. We're all created in God's image. Yes, sin came in and wrecked everything. But that's why Jesus died on a cross. So that we don't need to be judged but he took our judgment upon himself so that we can accept God's amazing grace and this this 
quote reminds me that I am part of something bigger than myself. I cannot live in isolation. John Donne said it this way, no man is an island. Cannot live alone. So the second principle, that's the first principle, that we are all equal in God's eyes. But the second principle that helps us treat each other fairly and justly and to act justly, because when you understand that we're all equal, then if I'm no better than you, then I need to treat you like I would want to be treated, no matter what. The second thing is we all need God. The simple truth is that God created us to need him. And we will only discover who we truly are when we acknowledge our need for him. We know, and many of us in this room have experienced this, that when we try to do things without God, we get into all sorts of trouble. But if we see ourselves as people who need God then it makes sense that we need to see others as people who need God as well. This means that we need to see them as we were. Never forget where you were. You were lost and you were in need of help to find your way home. What does Jesus say time and time again? Parable after parable, the parable of the lost coin the parable of the lost pearl of great price, the parable of the lost son, the parable of the lost sheep. What did he come to do? To find that which was lost and bring them home. This is the reality of who we were. Many people in this room, you were lost. Never forget you were lost and you needed help to find your way home. God understands we need him. And that's why he did everything in his power to bring us back to relationship with him. So let me say this, as a a church, as people who have accepted his grace, we need to remember without his grace, we can't, no matter how hard we try, if without his grace, we are as lost as the rest of the world. We're as lost as all those people who haven't discovered his grace yet. It's only by his grace. It's only by his grace. There's nothing, you can bring a thousand and one sacrifices up the front here and it won't save you. His salvation is a free gift from God that we accept by faith. And we acknowledge, I can't do this anymore on my own. Sorry God for trying to do it on my own. Help me, God, to know you. That's what he's called us to. And these two very simple principles, the principle that we are all equal, the principle that we all need God, they are the things that should drive us in how we treat each other. Simply, I'm no better than you. We are, I'm not better than you, I'm not worse than you. For some of us, we need to realise we're not worse than everyone else. We often talk about the fact that, oh, don't think of yourself better than you ought, you know, don't get too big for your boots and all of that stuff. But for most of us, 
we need to be told you're better than you are. God loves you enough to die on a cross for you. You are of worth and value because some of us are just going, I'm just, I was going to say poo, but I did say it. For the reality, some of us don't think we're worth anything. Some of us don't feel like we're worth God saving us. And we need to understand that you are worth it. We are all equal in God's eyes. God doesn't have favourites. The thing is, and that reality that without God we are lost. So let me say this. When we talk about acting justly, it simply means that my responsibility is to treat everyone around me as God has treated me. Think about that for a moment. If I am to act justly, then I am to treat everyone around me as God has treated me. How has God treated us? Equally. How has God treated us? He gave his all for us. Made a way for us to be found. That's what acting justly looks like. Is that my bell to wind up? Thanks, Joe. All right, come to a close. This stuff that we talk about, it's not easy. What God is asking us, what God is requiring of us to act justly, it's not easy. In our world where everything is not a level playing field, we don't live in a world where it's a, if, you're, if you're considered lowly, it's hard to get back up. And so we live in this world that doesn't support these principles that God has established. But let me finish with this thought, and it's in the last three verses of Micah in chapter 7, where it's just amazing that it finishes with this, this thought of who God is, and it declares to us who our God is. And we need to understand and remember that what, God is asking us to do is possible because of who our God is. I just want to finish with this in Micah chapter 7, verses 18 to 20. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Our God is faithful. Our God is faithful even when we are faithless. And the reality is all we need to do when we fail in acting justly, when we fall short of that mark and we say, I've not treated someone as I should have, all we need to do is go to him and he will be there for us and say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me, help me live for you. How is this possible? Because of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has made a level playing field. 
Jesus has torn down the divisions by his sacrifice on the cross. And because of what Jesus has done, we have this opportunity, because of this incredible grace, we have this opportunity to be able to live a life where we can act justly. If we just keep coming back to him. Let's honour the, the sacrifice that he made with our very lives. This God who has done everything possible for us to have relationship with him. Let us now honour him by saying, God, I lay my life at your feet and ask you to make it into what you need it to be. Right now, we're going to come around time of communion just to finish this, the service. And communion is that great reminder of who our God is. The God who would lay down his life for us. That he would give his all for us so that we could live for him. And so as the ushers come around and, and hand out the emblems, I want you to take a moment to remember who our God is. Our faithful God. The one who will show faithfulness and steadfast love. The one who has cast all your sins into the ocean. The one who has tread them all under his feet. The one who does not retain his anger forever. The one who has made a way for you to have relationship with God. The one who treats us justly and fairly. The one who treats us equally. The one who says, you're all welcome at my table. You are all welcome at my table. The one who says to you, you are worth it. You were worth it. Everything I did for you, it was worth it because you were worth it. This is the God we serve. And when we're struggling to act justly, we cry out to him and say, God, help us. I need your help. Remind me of how I can do it. Give me the strength to do it. Take a moment just to reflect on that. Who's excited to have normal communion again? Yes? Well, don't say anything until you taste it. But why don't we be upstanding? Why don't we take a moment to thank the God who has treated us fairly, even when we didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve his grace. We don't deserve his love. In reality, he could have left us, but he chose to send a saviour 
He chose to make a way for us to come back to Him. Why don't we take a moment to thank Him? Thank Him for His blood and His body that was broken for us. as we eat and drink today why don't we make a commitment to him to say God help me to act justly help me to love fairly help me to live in a way that honours you so let's eat and drink and pray for his strength and his help to live as he's called us to God we thank you we thank you, even though sometimes we, we wish you didn't see us all equally. We thank you that you are a God who sees us equally. And that you're a God who didn't leave us lost. That you knew we needed you and you made a way for us to come home. We thank you, God. Help us to live like you lived, with justice with fairness and with love. That's our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen.